This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, what are we talking about today? Something very timely, actually. How to plan for and survive a market downturn. Yeah. When did the market take uh, a dip this year? When did it start going down? I feel like it was the beginning of the year around the invasion. Is that correct? Or That sounds right. I, I don't remember. And I actually don't look that often. So, um, but that sounds right. You know, first quarter, right? Ooh, and that's a great tip, Doug. I don't think we have that on the thing. So yeah, put your head in the sand and, <laughs> and don't look at it. Then you don't know what's going on. You're okay. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, the ignorance is bliss thing definitely holds true. Now, um, you track your net worth on your website, right? Is, is that yes. still up? Yep. So, what's going on? Like, how far are you down this year? Because I know when we first started recording, it was like you were up like a million bucks or some something insane, right? And then do you know what you are here towards the end of the year? Um, at the worst, we were down down 1.7. These words seem so weird because 20 years ago, if you would have told me I would be a millionaire, I would think you were crazy. I never thought we'd arrive at this spot. But anyway, at the worst, we were down 1.7. Seven and as of now, I think it's probably yeah, it's probably close to that one point six, one point five, somewhere right around there. So that's down since uh, November of last year. It peaked, so we're probably down like one and a half for this calendar year. Wow! And you're the kind of dude that looks every day, right? I do. Okay. Sometimes every hour, Doug. <laughs> Psychologically, what does that do for you? Um. I could say this confidently now, and it used to be this way, but it doesn't really bother me at all. I don't buy a stock. I buy a company, and as long as I believe the company is still strong, nothing has changed underneath. It's all macro stuff, right? Like interest rates have gone up, but the company fundamentals are still fine. The macro stuff might affect it in the short term, but if the long term hasn't changed, why should I care? Uh, and this is another reason to buy index funds so you don't have to worry about these individual companies. But yeah, it doesn't really bother me at all. I do check it often, but it's for my own amusement. It's my form of entertainment. Gotcha. And do you have Twitter? I do. So how do you feel about the fundamentals there? This could be a whole show, so we may have to table it. The fundamentals of Twitter itself? Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's a hard one because a social network, they've had ads on there, and the ads aren't keeping the lights on. So uh, they're going to have to do something else, I know. Musk's early experiments with the blue check mark have not they have not been thought through and they have not gone over well. I know they just took that back. Um I think Twitter might be okay over the long term, but I do not have any dollars in that horse race. Okay. Not not or did you before, but not now. No, I never oh, did. Oh, you never did. Okay. For some reason I, I thought. But you you like Elon overall. I think he's smart, and I if I had to guess, like, zero or one, I would say one. He'll probably figure it out and make something of it. I think Twitter is really valuable for news. When uh, I was thinking about it the other day, actually, Doug, it's funny you ask this, is 
I was wondering about some question, and I can't remember what it was. And the first place to check that came into my head was Twitter, not even Google. Like, I should just go to Twitter and do a search there because the most current relevant information is probably going to be there. So, again, I think it's a quality product at its core, but you can have a great business that's not a great investment as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not a big consumer on Twitter or user at all, <laughs> but I know when we actually had the the wildfires around here, like that was a place that I, I was like, oh, this information is way more current than anything the news is providing. And I, some of the official organizations that were, you know, helping out during the evacuation and such, like they were putting out information on Twitter. So I was like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of other garbage on there, but yeah, for that specifically, I was like, this is a perfect uh, format. And then you have like anyone with a phone is able to like give an update on a specific like micro location. Yeah, so. absolutely. And they can have an update within like one minute of whatever the event is actually happening. So very timely and relevant. So how do you want to get into this here? It looks like you have a good story. Yeah. So I didn't always like, I just told you, Doug, that I do not really care that I'm down all this money. I don't give a shit. And it was because, but I had to go through it. I wasn't always that way during the Great Recession. And I looked these numbers up, the S&P 500 bottomed out at 666. I think that was March 2008 or 2009. And now, even after this downturn, it's still like 4,000 bucks. So that is like a uh, 6X increase, even after all the, all the chaos we have. And what is that, like 15 years ago now? Hmm. So that's not bad. That's... Uh, so your money, um, I think in 15 years, you would expect your money to double twice in that amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. Roll 72. So it's actually, even after the downturn, money invested then is still outperformed the historical average. And that's what happens after downturn. It goes back up as just as violently, violently as it went down. But what I did back then is I stopped investing because I freaked out and I stopped my 401k contributions except just enough to get my match. And it turned out that was probably the worst investing mistake in my entire life because I missed this great bull market that went on from 2009 up until like the uh, the start of this year, probably. Uh, mm -hmm. So all that money, that, that mistake so far has cost me hundreds of thousands. And over the course of my life, if I live another 40 years, I'm sure it will be a multi-million dollar mistake. Mm -hmm. And I did pretty much the same thing and maybe a little bit after the dot-com bubble time frame also um because I, I started investing and i actually maxed out my 401k for a couple years like or very early on but then as it looked flat like the returns looked flat for a little while and i was like why am i even doing this so i think i tapered it down stopped maxing it out and just like you said it is uh you know just looking back 15 years i can see it cost a lot of money i haven't done the calculation because it would be you know terrible to look at that but you know, everything turned out okay. The bad thing is, um, you know, other people don't learn from our lessons. They have to go through it themselves. So I uh, met some people recently and they were, you know, into FI and investing and they were, I think they're in their mid thirties or so. So, you know, they're getting into it, they're investing and they are, they were depressed because of this year. And they're like, it's so bad to look at these accounts and like see what's going on. And I don't know what to invest in now. And I felt 
exactly the same. You felt that way whenever you were going through it the first time. But now that we've gone through a couple recessions and we see the recovery is violent also that, you know, you got to be in those markets or you have to be in the market for those days, which you don't know when they are. And you just have to, you have to write it out knowing it's going to be like a messy ride. But if you zoom out on maybe like a 10 year period, it looks pretty good. The trend line is okay. But if you look year to year, it's no good. Yeah. It's never going to be, it's going to be up and to the right over the long term, And that's one of the strategies. It, 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 by the way, this whole episode is supposed to be about mindset and how to avoid making the same mistakes we did. So understanding that the markets move up and to the right over the long term, over decades can help with this. Uh, but what you also have to understand is that it's not a straight line. And that makes sense because it's the stocks. It's a living, breathing animal that depends on tons of variables. There's nothing that's going to give you that. There was a Facebook post where this person's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a passive investment that makes like eight or ten percent. Uh, that that's completely safe." I'm like, yeah, that's like unicorns and Santa Claus. It does not exist. Sorry, kids, if you're listening, I probably ruined Christmas for someone there. Um, he does exist. Santa Claus does exist. But anyway, that does not exist because if it did, everyone would pile into it and then there wouldn't be any room left for new investors and whoever was paying that out would stop, would pay a much lesser thing because there'd be such demand for it. So that doesn't exist. So you have to take, risk is probably the the long, the wrong word is risk for the short term, but it's, uh, Brian Feraldi had a really good quote, which I don't remember, so I should not have even said that. <laughs> <laughs> those are great, those quotes that um, yeah, but, we can't even... You know, re- recite back. What's the gist of it? Do you do you even know the? Uh, it's like uh, <laughs> it's gambling in the short term, but it's uh, or, <laughs> oh no, no, it has something to do with risk. We're we're gonna figure it out, Doug. You and I are gonna get there. It's like it's risky to invest for a short length of time, but it's risky to not invest for the long term or something like that, but much more eloquent than that. So there's a beautiful, risk, beautiful quote, <laughs> risk to the short term, <laughs> but there's a risk to not being invested for the long term. Make a note to link to uh, Brian's tweet. Yes. So people can see that in the show notes, please. Yeah. Sorry, Brian. I hope you're not listening. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's a showstopper right there. I'm not sure where, where are we even at? I, I have no idea. Uh, but you have to have money in there. And now, like, we stopped investing at the best possible time. And you said, Doug, you never know when those good days are going to come. And it turns out that lots of people have studied this. You have to be in it to catch those good days because there's not many of them. Like, if you miss the 10 best days, like, you're going to have pretty crappy returns. You might be positive, but it's a huge difference. So you have your money in there for these long time periods just to catch these little waves when it really shoots up. And Mm -hmm. you never know when those are going to be. So timing is silly. Yep. And I think there was a day last week. I don't look too often, um, but I'll see headlines occasionally. And yeah, I think one day last week, it was up like five and a half percent, something like that. NASDAQ went bonkers. Yep. Yeah. So it's like you can't time it. And if you try to, you're probably going to miss it. Yep. I think you have to just get exceptionally lucky. Yeah. Uh, Another part of this is to think about this. Before the storm happens. So the right time to plan what you're going to be doing is not right now where all this shit is happening. It's to, you, you don't buy your insurance policy when in the middle of the flood, you buy it when the skies are sunny. 
And the same thing with money. You have to plan for what you're going to do when everything is going great because when everything hits the fan, you're not going to be in the right state of mind and you're not going to have taken the right mental preparations or money preparations to be successful. So you have to have a plan and I would even write it down and refer back to it if you have anxiety when the storm actually comes. And I think think that's it. You know, people will have a psychological issue like making the decisions because you're emotional about it because it's happening right now but if you made the decision when you were uh, you know clear-headed and you're not in the middle of it then you could just follow the plan and go with it so and yeah i mean i don't i'm trying to think like once you have everything set up like there's very few like decision points you have to make on a day-to-day basis is like dollar cost average or if you somehow end up with a lump sum figure out what you're going to do, whether you're going to lump sum purchase or dollar cost average or whatever you need to do. But I mean, uh, for you and Mindy, do you guys have to make very many like decision points financially? No, just about nothing. We know what our 401ks are going to go into. It's pretty much VTSAX and that's pretty much it. So the money comes in, I hit the transfer button to the solo 401k and there's nothing else to it. Okay. And then do you guys have um, a bond allocation? So, you know, referring to uh, the Trinity study and such, uh, what what was the bond allocation? Like 40%, right? For Yeah, 40-60. Okay. So 40-60, which is pretty heavy in the bond area. So do you, do you guys have any bonds? Nope. Zero. How about you, Doug? We do. I think um, Elizabeth, my wife, has a a heavier allocation. I'm not sure, maybe around 20%. Mine's more around 10% or so. And for a little while, like I was maybe a little heavier, maybe in the 20 to 25% and maybe she was too. Um, And then I shifted more to, you know, just VTSAX and over uh, a little time. And when I've, you know, gathered more information. I was like, you know, I think this maybe five to 10% is a nice way um, to add a ballast to the whole thing and makes me feel a little bit better. I know, you know, technically, mathematically, the returns might not be as good, but during the downturns, you know, it doesn't hit you as hard, which is, that's the whole point of that, right? Yeah. And the other point is to reallocate. And I think most recommend you do that once a year. So if you you reallocate, say December 31st, you might find that your bond allocation instead of being 10% is now going to be 15 just because stocks have crashed and bonds. I I have no idea what bonds have been doing. But then you take it and you reallocate. So then stocks are back up. So you're buying stocks at a discount uh, relative to bonds. And then poof, you should have more money over the long term, I think, maybe. Right. And then I've seen some additional studies where, or analysis rather, where, um, you know, it doesn't matter too much. I mean, like you, you can reallocate if, but if you're like, whatever, you know, 8.5 or whatever, uh, 13% versus the 10% that you were aiming for, like it is a marginal change in the long term, and probably like you're overshooting where you need to be anyway, most of the time. So I don't really enjoy like reallocating. So I'll tweak it every now and then. Um, Probably not once a year, not on a regular basis, but yeah, I don't know if it matters all that much. Yep. Yeah. And I'll say we don't have any bonds because we still have income. Mindy still works. Uh, Once, if she ever decides to stop, we'll probably have, I don't know, probably six to a year in cash. Uh, 
six months to a year. Yeah, six months to a year. So we could pull from there if there's a big downturn. But yeah, other than that, I'm not sure if we'll ever have bonds. Okay, gotcha. And do you, aside from the cash bucket, do you do anything else or would you do anything else to to buffer um, during the first couple of years? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, Yeah, that's probably it. We'll probably stop the dividend reinvestment and just live off those or take as much as we can from that. And then we're not actually selling shares. Uh, Yeah, that's probably all there is to it. I don't ever anticipate us not making money either. Uh, I like to work. We'll have a rental house soon. So I'm not sure how much of our core portfolio we'll ever have to touch, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think, like you said, if you just stop the dividend reinvestment and you can live off uh, VTSAX, which I guess currently the dividend reinvestment is like 1.54%, right? Yeah. Okay. So then like that removes all risk. Uh, 4% rule doesn't even matter, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. A lot of times when there's downturns, companies will reduce the dividends they pay out. So I think that's been higher in the past. I'm not a dividend investor, but I thought it was over 2% at some point fairly recently. Uh, call us out in the comments if that's not true or if anyone has anything else to say about that. But that does fluctuate as well. You can't consistently count on any number. Okay, gotcha. All right. And before anything else in preparation or mindset? Yeah, I would just say a lot of people listening to this show are pretty successful. You've saved up a lot of money. I wouldn't get hung up on any of this. If you're smart enough to have figured out or you're resilient or hardworking enough to figure out how to retire early, you can probably figure some other shit out. And yeah, uh, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be able to figure something out and you're not going to go under. I thought I had some more eloquent thing to say. No, no, that was beautiful. It was kind of like the quote from earlier. Yeah, That's like great. Brian Ferraldi. Maybe we should just cancel this episode. <laughs> well, and I think um, in this episode, have we talked about how to support the show? I don't think we have. Everything is a blur now. I can't remember what we did, um, but I don't think we have. So you can support the show. We are trying to not have ads on here. And you could head over to milehighfi.com slash donate. And there's some options. It's over on a site called Buy Me a Coffee, which is similar to Patreon. But I did some uh, investigating, and it looks like there's a little more versatility with uh, Buy Me a Coffee. And the way we have it set up, Carl, I don't know if you've taken much of a look, but there's uh, like a membership area. And you can donate on a monthly basis. And that really helps us out. We can kind of count on you. And it starts at $5. And then there are other levels. Some of them, you get like a t-shirt. Some of them, I think I wrote that you get a a handwritten postcard from one of us once a quarter. Sometimes you get to hang out with Carl and I via Zoom. So there's some cool stuff on there. There's also a one-time donation area. And did you look at that part, Carl? I have looked at nothing. Sorry, all right. I did all this work and I was like, hey, can you proof it? You didn't even follow the link, man. I, oh, I did look at that. The five levels I did. That was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Sorry, Doug. Yeah. What, white asparagus, <laughs> green asparagus level. And yeah. Yeah. And if you do a one-time donation, it's not buy me a coffee. It's buy Doug and Carl a beer. So I changed it. So it's, it's buy me a beer. So you can, you can do a one-time donation over there. And the thing is, like Carl and I have done well, um, but 
it costs money to produce the show. We have an editor, Anastasia, over in Ukraine, and she helps us out. And uh, there's hosting. There's like lights and gear and some other stuff. So we're just trying to break even here is what we're trying to do. We also produce Alan Donegan's show, which is also not free. <laughs> yeah. And I think if we had more money, we could be even better. Like all the shitty things I said in this one, how uh, I stumbled over my words. We could actually have a decent editor if we had money to pay someone. But good editors aren't cheap yeah yeah and we could uh, actually have yeah so basically if we can bring in a little bit more we could pay for the show and and improve the quality i don't know if we'll get better guests because we get some pretty good guests for like what we're doing so agreed especially like the quality of hosts that we are yes very good definitely overshooting and hitting above our weight here so anyway if there's no obligation to donate it helps out the show we really do appreciate it and it'll help us do a better job in the future. It'll encourage us to do a better job. And, there, you know, if you do donate, you get extra stuff. So I think Carl and I are going to maybe do some uh, Instagram stories. Um, I'll talk to you more about it, but I think it could be a fun thing to do. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Okay, so what else do we have here? We have a couple uh, other ideas to share. So when the markets do go down, and they will, they will go down, what should we do? You should have had your plan already written. You should look at your plan and and stick to it. Know that you wrote the plan when your mind was in a good place and your money was in a good place. And so that was that is what you need to do. The other thing you need to understand is this stuff is always going to happen. Everything is cyclical, but over the long term, over decades, the market is up and to the right. Uh the final thing I would say, which we didn't talk about before, is instead of viewing this as a problem, and this is true if you're still making money and investing, like I, I told the story about how I freaked out. I was young. I had a job. I had no intention. I didn't even know what the hell early retirement was. So what was I freaking out about? I had decades left to work. The store was on sale. I should have been putting as much money as I could. I should have been unloading wheelbarrows every cent I had into the market instead of doing the opposite. Uh, that's another great Buffett quote when the uh, – Stock market is the only only store where people head for the exits when the merchandise goes on sale. Yep, which is completely true. It, but it's not human nature to think like this. You tend to freak out because you see your money cut in half or whatever it's done. Especially if you're new and don't have much in there. But yeah, know that everything's going to be okay, and uh, yeah, keep plowing it in. Yeah, and finally, you could be flexible. So. Potentially, you have the ability to not buy as much stuff. Um, you know, trips are often optional. So you don't have to go on like the big expensive vacation. You could go on a different one. This may be a little cheaper. Like uh, I just think of growing up. Um, and I think I want to say, side story here. I was recently in Atlanta and I got some photos of when I was a kid. And I showed them to my wife and she was like, wow. You are white trash. That's what she said to me. So so anyway, you can go on cheap vacations like I did as a white trash person from Georgia. Sometimes we would go to like just a place where there was a lake uh, and stay like in a, there was one trip. I think we stayed in like a single wide trailer and I was like, it's a fucking great trip. I was like, we're swimming in the lake, which sounds disgusting to me now uh but it was a great trip and when we drove out there i think we stayed at like you know the cheapest hotel but if there's a pool and you're a kid it's pretty fun so you can you can still go on vacation just maybe a cheaper one 
Yeah, staying in a single wide trailer, that sounds kind of fancy to me. If, if you were trash, I guess I was super trash. We had this <laughs> pickup truck. It wasn't even a big one, uh, the original Ford Ranger. And we'd be sleeping in the back of this thing. And my dad would make these like <laughs> homemade beds. And yeah, it'd be freezing outside. Yeah, so... It sounds we, like you had a pretty good dog. We we had the same trip, man. We we actually went to the World's Fair in Knoxville when I was like two or something like that. But we stayed in the back of, yeah, it was a Chevy Love pickup truck, same size as a Ranger. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. We, we, we came from nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't remember the full point other than, um, you know, be flexible. So you could also, you could also pick up a part-time job, right? So if, especially if you're already um, retired or um, you're not in the accumulation phase, just getting a part-time job doing something that you kind of enjoy completely changes the math and it, you know, changes the, you know, 4% rule. Maybe you draw down like one and a half percent, which feels a lot better, or maybe just a little bit. Maybe you work part-time in the industry you were in before, but if you just earn a little bit of money, the math, you could kind of throw it out the window. And that's kind of how I'm thinking about the 4%, you know, guideline rule. Like if you just make a little bit of money, like it doesn't even matter that much. 4%, 3.5%, like you you could be flexible. Yeah. One final thought on that, I think. Uh, I know Big Earn wrote a big piece about this and he said, yeah, 4% is too dangerous, but like I forgot what number he arrived on. It was something like 3.3%. It was definitely between 3 and 4%. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was low threes. But anyway, if you can live on 40000 a year, you can get a job like bartending or working at a brewery. You can easily pull in 10000 bucks on that and bring it down to 3%. And then you're, you're bulletproof according to his math. And when things pick back up again, if you don't like it, quit. Right. And... <laughs> the real final point and then because this could be a whole other episode um and i think um maybe on the bigger pockets money podcast recently uh mindy your wife interviewed michael kitsis and the four percent rule was like analyzed as a baseline so that's how he described it like as a baseline and it basically can work at the 3.3 percent if you don't change anything and you blindly make a plan uh, like 30 years ago and then don't adjust ever, which seems bananas because you would adjust and you have whatever, 15, 20 years to know like, hey, our calculations are a little bit off. Why don't we adjust a little bit? So at that point, I'm like, why are we even stressing about it? I yeah. don't know. So whole other show, we could debate that. It's kind of a, just a weird thought exercise. Yep. So... All right, cool, Carl. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. And if people want to uh, ask any questions, Doug at milehighfi.com, Carl at milehighfi.com, and we'll feature you in the next mailbag episode. Yep, thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.